As you observe history, cultures tend to change over time. Our American culture has changed some over time, and whether we consider it good or bad is not the issue. The issue is living well for God's glory in changing times. Today, you may be laughed at at times, and sometimes strongly challenged if you have a view of marriage that involves a male and a female for life. In some job contexts that I have read about and not only read about, but talked to people about, they have been forced to either renounce what they believe concerning sexuality or lose their job. Some people may be ridiculed if you have a position of this is right and this is wrong because that's what God or who God is and what he says. There can be criticism for claiming Christ is the only way to God in a world that is prone to say, in a country that is more and more prone to say all religions lead to God. Your children may not be able to be involved in some activities if you are not willing to let them sell their total being to an activity because you have other priorities, whether it be family and so on. What do we need to live with deep conviction in our culture or in a culture such as Peter's day? Our culture today is not new. Our culture has changed in our country. But what we face in today's culture, and if the Lord tarries, it looks like it will continue that direction, has happened before. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter has been presenting, you know, who his his hearers are in Christ, who believers today are in Christ. He talked about their being born again through the imperishable and living and enduring word of God. Had encouraged them in light of that to rid themselves of malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. And then to crave pure spiritual milk because they tasted that the Lord is good. And he says in verse 4, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And a stone that caused men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message which is also what they were destined for. But you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In light of the fact that Peter's hearers had tasted that the Lord was good, we have tasted that the Lord is good. In verse 4 he says, You come to him, referring to Christ, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God, and the living stone Christ being precious to God. And then he talks about the fact that believers are living stones. Christ, the living stone. Believers, living stones are being built into a spiritual house to offer spiritual sacrifices. And then at the beginning of verse 6, he says, for in Scripture it says. The word for is vital to note. Peter has mentioned living stone, referring to Jesus Christ. Living stones, referring to believers. Now he is going on to comment on Jesus Christ to whom we offer spiritual sacrifices. Now let me briefly comment on a few words in verse 6. He's quoting, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. I lay, apparently God is laying a chosen, the word chosen means elected, believers elected, Christ being elected to die, Christ being precious, highly valued, so that the one who trusts in him, and trust was mentioned in chapter 1, verses 5, 7, 8, and 9, along with 21. The one who trusts in this living stone will not be put to shame, will not to be put to blush, will not be disgraced. Now keep in mind that Peter's hearers are going through rejection. They're going through persecution. And Peter quotes from Isaiah to encourage them. They needed encouragement. And the persecution was not coming from the government. Maybe a neighbor, maybe a family member, because they didn't fit into culture. Peter continues to demonstrate to his hearers that they're part of an ongoing story that began many, many years before they were born. That's important as they go through persecution and rejection. They're part of a bigger story. They're part of a bigger picture. This is not something that is unique to them. He appeals to Isaiah hundreds of years earlier. And in spite of persecution, Peter's hearers will not be frustrated or disappointed because their faith their trust 
is in the cornerstone. Stop and ponder that. In our culture today, it seems like we're moving away from God, Scripture, Christ. To live in a culture like that is to remain committed to the cornerstone and to realize our identity is in the cornerstone. And Peter Coley says, as he quotes from Isaiah, the one who trusts in him will not be put to shame. Now he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16. And the context of Isaiah chapter 28 is one of judgment. Israel being judged. In verses 1 through 4, that comes through loud and clear. In verses 5 and 6 of Isaiah 28, we find that the Lord Almighty is mentioned. He's a glorious crown. In verses 7 through 13 of Isaiah 28, we find that there's confrontation. Confrontation in the fact that Isaiah is confronting the drunken priest and prophets. He says in verse 7 of Isaiah 28, And these also stagger from wine and reel from beer. Priest and prophet stagger from beer, and they are befuddled with wine. They reel from beer. They stagger when seeing visions. They stumble when rendering decisions. And he goes on and talks about then that judgment is going to be coming because they made a pact with Israel. But in that context of judgment, Verse 16 says, so this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. The stone in Isaiah chapter 28 is probably referring to, as you study, a Davidic kingship. And Christ came through that line. But for the nation of Israel at that point in time, they have been resisting God. They're going to be into captivity for 70 years. Isaiah confronts. There's judgment, but there's also hope. And the hope is the sovereign Lord laying a stone in Zion. And then we come over to 1 Peter chapter 2. This stone, chosen and precious, is being applied to Christ. He's the cornerstone. In the midst of Israel's judgment, the Lord, in the midst of what Peter and his hearers are going through, Christ, the chosen and precious cornerstone, the one who trusts in him will not be put to shame. Jesus spoke of himself being the cornerstone as he gave the parable of the tenants. And in Acts 4, he's spoken of as a cornerstone. Paul speaks of him as a cornerstone in Romans 9, along with Ephesians chapter 2. I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, the one who puts trust in him 
in Christ will never be put to shame. One commentator says, and I quote, the terms of shame and honor form a contrast in 1 Peter that frames a social situation for Peter's original readers. As a primary value in a first century culture, honor concerned the positive social standing, reputation and status, rating of individuals and groups in the opinion of others and of God. Shame entailed sensitivity regarding the loss of honor or the actual loss of honor. In the first century Roman society of Asia Minor, did conversion to Christ raise or lower one's social status? Did it bring honor or shame to oneself and family? Apparently, Peter's readers were receiving a barrage of verbal abuse designed to demean to discredit and shame the believer as social and moral deviance endangering the common good. This procedure of public shaming was employed as a means of social control with the aim of pressuring the minority community to conform to the conventional values and standards of conduct. Such sustained social pressure resulted in undeserved suffering that could lead to despair and eventually even renunciation of the Christian faith. And so Peter reminds his readers of Isaiah's promise that whoever trusts in the cornerstone placed in Zion's will, in fact, never be shamed, and thereby reverses the basis of honor and shame in their self-understanding. Those who trust in the living cornerstone that God has placed in Zion will never be put to shame. But those who reject Christ will suffer shameful judgment by God himself. Never be put to shame affirms the opposite of shame. Thus honored, believers share in honor bestowed on Christ with whom they are united in a spiritual house. In your life, you at times may experience rejection and persecution for the way you live or because of your stand or position for something. You may be pushed to reject Christ. Peter says, the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. encouragement for them. He goes on in verse 7. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to the one who does not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Peter offers some more encouragement by quoting from Psalm 118 and verse 22 and Isaiah 8 and verse 14. But he clearly states he's speaking to those who believe. Belief is mentioned in chapter 1 
As I mentioned earlier in verses 5, 7, 8, 9, 21, and then in chapter 2 and verse 6. And the idea of belief is a firm persuasion, a firm conviction. The belief rests in the four Gospels which reveal Christ. Belief is not a hope so, but involves something revealed, Christ revealed. He came to this earth, Scripture. Also, it rests upon that which is certain, definite. Those who believe. Peter says to those who believe, you believe, you come to faith in Christ, you have a firm conviction, a firm persuasion that is not based on hearsay, but based on Christ and what he has done. Christ was revealed according to chapter 1. And in chapter 1, revealed involves... Blood sprinkled, God as Christ's Father, Christ being raised, experiencing the new birth, glorification of Christ, obeying the truth, a chosen and precious cornerstone. When Peter talks about belief, He's not talking about, well, maybe so, maybe not. It's real, it's genuine, as clearly communicated in chapter 1, as well as other portions of Scripture. Now, to those who believe, the stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the idea of unbelief is to be uncompliant, to refuse to believe, To refuse to obey. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Coming from Psalm 118. But in this context, Christ rejected. As Jesus spoke of himself being rejected by the Jewish leaders, they did not believe that that stone has become the capstone. And he says, quoting from Isaiah 8 then, a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Christ was rejected in Matthew 21, Mark 12, Luke 20. And those who do not come to faith in Christ, they reject the cornerstone. What happens? They fall. A trap is sprung, so to speak. A cause of ruin, destruction. He says then at the end of verse 8, they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Talks about belief, but he also talks about what they were destined for. We won't go into it in any detail this morning. But there's also the belief, the unbelief, but there's also 
a destiny that was determined for them. Free will, if you please, but also election. You say, well, can you reconcile those two completely? I don't think it's an issue of trying to reconcile those two completely, but accepting that Scripture speaks of both of them. And as he writes to Peter, Peter's hearers, or as we reflect on Peter's hearers, rather, the encouragement is to stand firm on Christ. Because to those who believe, the stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Psalm 118 celebrates deliverance. Perhaps that's one of the reasons the Levites during the Passover and the Passover feast would use Psalm 118 because it tied in with deliverance. The psalmist refers to the stone builders rejected but it's become the capstone. Again, Peter's saying, this is not something new. We're part of a flow of history. And Christ is the capstone. He quotes also from Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah, again, being a book of judgment. But in the midst of judgment... Isaiah reminds his hearers. The stone that caused men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Taking the passage from Isaiah, applying it to Christ. And live and respond in light of that. They stumble because they disobey the message. If you can, stop and step back into history some 2,000 years. Peter's hearers being persecuted. Again, not from the government, but from family or neighbors or whatever taking some flack. And Peter says, stand up for Christ. Continue to obey. You won't be put to shame because the capstone. And the capstone is not merely in the present, some 2,000 years ago. It goes back to the day of the psalmist. It goes back to the day of Isaiah. You're part of a bigger picture. God working out his will, his way, his purpose. You're not the first ones to need a capstone. You're not the first ones to need a deliverer. Remain faithful. And that means there's some applications for us today. The identity of Jesus Christ is vital to strong, being strong and faithful 
when times of persecution or rejection come. For Peter's hearers to grasp that Christ is the cornerstone, they will not be put to shame. That even though the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and it causes men to stumble, continue to be faithful. You may take some flack somewhere along the line just for living in obedience to Jesus Christ. Keep going. This is not unique. It happened in Peter's day. Peter appeals to Isaiah. Peter appeals to the psalmist. Our identity is intimately related to Christ's identity. Our identity is intimately related to Christ's identity. Christ is the living stone, and we're living stones. Our identity is tied in with Christ's identity. Yesterday, got together with my mother and siblings and mates and looking through some old pictures and so on. Mom likes to get us together once in a while and came across Ruth Ann's father's obituary. I guess mom put it in her stuff. And I read through Dick's obituary. And I can't remember it all. A farmer at heart, a trucker by trade, a mechanic by something And then, a child of the king. I heard Dick say over and over again in his life, I'm a child of the king. His identity is being tied in with God. His identity is being tied in with Christ. Who are we? We're living stones. Because we're part of the living stone. And that goes a long way in day-by-day living to grasp that our identity is in relation to Christ. That means look beyond the immediate persecution or difficulty or temptation to never be put to shame. Don't merely look at the present. Look beyond and see the bigger picture. People respond to the stone. That is Christ with their belief. He is precious. Or unbelief or disbelief. And that results in them stumbling. Live and verbalize the stone. He's the reason for our hope, our expectation. I don't know what our culture will do in the next 20, 30, 50 years. Whatever culture, direction our culture goes, remember Christ is the cornerstone. And those who believe in him will not be put to shame. 
He was rejected, but he became the capstone. Some may not believe, and they may fall. But in Christ, we can be faithful. As we close our service, let's sing together as Travis comes to lead us. My hope is in the Lord. Travis?